friends, and welcome to the Midpacker Pod, part of the Free Trail Network of Podcast. I am your host, Troy Meadows, and I am stoked to bring you informative and relatable content from people just like you, everyday runners pushing their boundaries and doing extraordinary things on and off the trails. Today on the pod, I am happy to bring you a conversation with my friend, Justine Bello. Justine is a single mom, a conservator working for the National Park Service, and a trail and ultra runner based out of the District of Columbia. We met originally through Free Trail, but had the opportunity to share a few beverages post-Grindstone last year, where I first heard how her race went in the inaugural 100K. And after hearing about it, I knew I had to have her on the show. We also talk about how she rediscovered her running postpartum after battling with disordered eating and rediscovering her relationship with food that allowed her to not only get pregnant with her second child, but also realize how important it is to fuel your body for not just your training, but your life. We dive into how she balances all the things while managing to show up for her children as a single mother and why it is important to cultivate and lean into your support group and why it is also really important to ask for help in order to create the balance and space you need to get in your training and be the best version of yourself for your family. We round out the conversation with some of the races that Justine has on her spring calendar. I am super impressed with Justine's attitude of gratitude and her willingness to open up and be vulnerable with me in regards to her issues with disordered eating, as well as provide some actionable tips for balancing family, work, life, and running. This conversation left me with a smile on my face and a reverence for how special the trail running community really is. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Justine Bello. Okay, friends, it's that time when I ask you to help me help you. First off, if you appreciate this conversation and these conversations each and every week and want to support the work that I do directly, please consider joining the Midpacker Pod Patreon. It's just a buck a month. That's like 25 cents an episode. There's a link at the top of the show notes to join. Second, keep dropping those ratings and reviews. I read all of them and it has truly been amazing for me to see and receive the feedback from all of you. Remember, you can leave a review for each episode you listen to, so keep them coming. It is also a great way to help the show by increasing rankings and the different pod player algorithms, which in turn opens the pod up to new listeners. At least that's what they say. So again, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for leaving those ratings and reviews. If you have any feedback or critique, criticism or know someone that would be perfect as a guest on the show, feel free to use a suggestion form linked at the top of the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Lastly, if you were on the lookout for one-on-one coaching to not only accomplish your ultra running goals, but add accountability and perspective from the middle of the pack, let's talk. I'm still looking to fill a few spots in my athlete roster for 2024 and would love to build a long-term coaching relationship with you. If you are interested in chatting to see if I would be a good fit for your needs, you can book some time with me by using the link at the top of the show notes. Okay. Thanks for entertaining my request and listening to me ramble on. Um, yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Now, let's get to my conversation with Justine Bello. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Midpacker Pod. I am super excited to have a conversation with a good friend of mine, Justine Bello. Justine, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Troy. 
Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to unpack a couple things. Um, and I was really excited to have you on the pod. Uh, we, you know, we met in person after grindstone, we shared a beverage, uh, the day after got a bunch of free trailers together. Um, I may ask you a couple questions about that race. I think it's, uh, you had a very unique experience and I think it's worth sharing on the pod, but, uh, before we kind of dive into all the things, um, you know, who is Justine Bello? Yeah. Great. Well, the great question. Um, yeah, I, uh, I am a trail runner. I'm a city dweller. I am um, a lifelong beast coaster. I am um, a human. I'm a friend. I'm a mom. Um, I'm a dog lover. I'm a vegetable lover. Um, yeah, that's probably a good start, but we'll probably add some more to that list as we get talking. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just telling because like people have, there's so many aspects to their lives and, and, and who they are and what they're doing. And yet we still try to, to set these crazy, hairy, audacious goals and, and, and do hard things, uh, either on the trails or, you know, on the trails in the mountains. And, um, I'm definitely excited to talk about some of that stuff with you. And uh, just so the audience knows, my son is finishing up lunch. I'm recording in a, at a friend's house, uh, where my wife and I are house sitting and he's, I think he's about to go downstairs in a minute, but, um, he's just right next door. So that is all the fun sounds that you're hearing in the background. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for, uh, entertaining us and him. So, um, so I guess, you know, to start is, you know, Justine, where did, where, where did your love for running come from? You know, tell, tell us a little bit about your journey, your running journey. Yeah, I've been a runner for 25 years, which sounds like a crazy number when I say it out loud, but uh, maybe even longer. Um, but I did start running track in high school. I was a lifetime soccer player and was a midfielder. So just kind of did a lot of running by default when you're in that position. Yes. Um, yeah, you the, know, the, mid, the midfield does nothing but run. That That's basically what you're on the field to do. So 100%. So I just did a lot of running, um, just kind of as a matter of course, um, never took it super seriously, did not take track seriously at all in high school, um, only ran recreationally through college, graduate school, um, and but started to do it more and more frequently in my 20s once I landed um, in Washington, D.C., which is still my home now, um, almost 17 years later, and really recommitted to it. Uh, after, particularly after the birth of my second child, um, I found that it was really a critical part of feeling like a complete human after giving birth, after adjusting to having a second child in the house, after readjusting to what my postpartum body was like. Um, and I saw surprisingly, what well, well, it felt surprising to me at the time, um, some incremental growth in how much um, I enjoyed it and how fit I was. And they kept feeding each other. So I uh, just continued to do it um, recreationally, but more and more frequently. And then once I found trails, it was a light bulb. It was a true light bulb moment for me. Um, I had also always been a, a really rec um, avid recreational hiker and it was really only when I was out of the Grand Canyon um, for work in 2017, uh, I had a chance to 
spend two weeks there, which was a really, really wonderful transformative experience. And maybe we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but was getting ready to hike down into the canyon to camp over the weekend and saw these guys just blow by us as we were starting to just toddle down Bright Angel Trail. And it it had just never occurred to me that I could put trails and running together until I was confronted with it in the most epic of all places, you know, this incredible backdrop. And I just turned to my colleague and I said, I want to do that. And I did. After that, that was it, it, there was really no turning back. Um, of course, then I had to return to Washington, D.C., which does not look very much like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so yeah. there's a little bit of a disconnect there, but found made ways to make it work um, more and more into my life. And it has been a huge part of my life ever since then. Yeah, very cool. I, I want to double click, if you don't mind talking about um, the postpartum process for you. I know, um, you know, my my son's 20, 22 months old and, you know, my wife is still for the my my wife is still recovering from her postpartum recovering and adapting to what her like postpartum body is for her right now and i'd love if you if you wouldn't mind just kind of talking about uh just like briefly about that journey for you as someone who ran who ran most of your life and then ultimately refound running afterwards like but was there a reframe that you had to do in order and in order to kind of like accept that that new person that you were post childbirth or, and, and then also like kind of what that process was like for you. Yeah, this, it was a major, it was a major transition in my life in a lot of ways. Um, I think maybe important context is that I, um, experienced disordered eating through my twenties, um, hmm. specifically in the form of orthorexia. So, that's a sort of a fixation on clean eating um, and eating healthily. And the short of it was that I was not eating enough calories to fuel the running that I was doing. And I essentially ran myself into infertility. Um, so I was unable to come conceive when we were trying to have our first child um, and ended up having to do IVF. And it was only after that first pregnancy and actually putting on say 35 pounds that I was actually able to restart my endocrine system and actually conceive our second child. And that whole experience um, was incredibly difficult. Uh, I had to accept that to be a healthy person and to be healthy enough to actually conceive and raise a child um, I needed to be a lot heavier than I had been for many, many years. And that was a um, was a big transition in how I thought of myself, how I thought about what my day looked like um, in terms of my habits, in terms of my eating, in terms of how my clothes fit, what size I was, what my body looked like in the mirror. And I had to make a lot of peace with all of that before I was anywhere near a place where I could start running again. Mm. Um, but I did, it took, it took probably three or four years to get to that place where I was not only at peace with it, but had the confidence that this is the body that I needed 
to serve, to serve me in all of my ways of life. And that was incredibly empowering. And looking back on it now, my progression at that time in running makes a lot of sense because I was fueling my body for the first time in ways that I hadn't in, you know, 10 plus years. Um, so I was so remotivated to treat my body really, really well, um, to fuel it really, really well. And the running just came so easily after that compared to the way that it had been. It felt like I got a second chance at so many things in this postpartum body. Wow. So it's almost like there was a, almost like you, it, your journey toward childbirth and then having your second child, like it was like a complete, I would say a rebirth for your own body. Right. And allowed you to, to kind of, um, it kind of opened running back up to you in a way that like you didn't even realize you were missing out on, huh? hundred percent. Yes. Wow. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And like, I was just, uh, it's a, it's a very compelling story. And and honestly, I just wanted to kind of double click on it because it's something that I know is a struggle for, for a lot of women, especially like my wife was a runner prior to, to giving, uh, to giving birth to our son. And then she hasn't ran, she's ran like a couple, a couple times postpartum. It's been almost two years and she's still, um, just kind of dealing with, uh, the, the trauma that her body went through to, to give birth. And I know it's something that every, and every, every person has that journey back. It's different for everyone, you know, and I just kind of wanted to highlight that because I think a lot of people get, um, I don't want to say stuck, but you see some of the stories, you know, like you see the outliers basically like on social media of women who were like back to running six months after giving birth and you're just like, okay. And that, that could be you and, 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 and it could be the person that, that took, took them two or three years to get back to running, uh, the way they, they were prior to. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Justine. Um, yeah. let's, I, I do want to, you mentioned it and, and, and you said, let's talk about it. So let's just, let's go back to the Grand Canyon, like talk about that experience for you. Um, and then I, I want to juxtapose that into, um, running in an urban environment because you live in Washington, DC. And so uh, I think that could be a really good segue to, to some of the other topics that we have. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, um, you know, it marked uh, a major transition in my professional life um, at a time where I thought it was only going to be a job change and it ended up being a complete sea change. I could not have predicted at the time that taking this job, um, I was moving from the private sector to working for the federal government for the National Park Service. Um, it, it changed everything. It changed everything in, in ways that I really could not have anticipated. Um, you know, I, I was professionally, I had been working in the same field um, at the same company for almost 10 years and had kind of maxed out where I thought I could go in that particular position and was both looking for a job that offered um, some better work-life balance and um, a slightly different professional track. And what I got was a look at a life that I had never before imagined for myself. One that was so much more filled with opportunity and with people and with experiences that 
I, I was really, um, I was really deeply changed by it. And that training period that I was out there for those two weeks was, um, was very important in starting to kind of lay it all out for me that this could, this is out there and this too could be yours. And I, I think it was, wasn't until that time that I really had been confronted with how much I felt like I had been missing out on life. Although I was thriving professionally, um, I felt like I, I didn't even realize how much life I was missing out on and being in such an incredible place and being able to do my work at the same time was kind of like, wow, you actually can have it all, or at least you can have more, you can have more than you thought you could. So it, it just felt like opportunity presented to me just very, very, you know, kind of in, in all its iterations. Um, and so once I was there, it really, um, it's kind of, kind of hard to find words for it, but once I got a taste of it, I just felt like I, I just want more of all of this. Yeah. Well, the Grand Canyon, it has the type of majesty that, that can, uh, it's in, inceptive and infectious, right? Like when yes. you see the Canyon for the first time and you realize, especially if you're coming from the East coast and maybe you haven't had a lot of experiences on the West coast, like it is, I mean, they call it the big ditch, right? Jokingly. It is like this big, vast expanse of like, I cannot believe this exists. You, like you look at it and you're just like, what, you know, and, and the majesty of the Canyon is, is something that is, is it's, it's a sight to behold, to, to be held. And there's a reason why it's, it's like one of the, I don't know, wonders of the world or something. I know it's on one of those lists. Um, and that's, I mean, what a great, what a great place to, to, to figure out that you were ready for, to redefine who you were and from a vocational standpoint. Um, you know, I, I guess, before we start talking, I mean, we're, I'm going to, we're going to go sideways here for a second. Before we start talking about, you know, the, the DC trail life, um, you know, just tell the audience briefly what it, what it is that, that you do and, and the work and the impact that you have, um, currently, I guess you could start with like what you were doing prior to in the private sector and then now what you're doing in, in, in working for the government. Yeah. So I'm a conservator, which has to do with conservation, but of cultural resources. So when most, most folks hear the word conservation, it's usually used in a sense of talking about protections that we place on natural resources. Um, but my focus is on built structures, um, historic buildings, monuments, sculpture, some artifacts. Um, I've just always been really fascinated by cultural heritage and the fact that we associate meaning with an object or a specific thing that exists for folks in my field. It's kind of about the thing. It's about the material, right? We, we agree that this thing belongs in a museum because it is the artifact. It is the memento of a particular event or period of time. Um, so I've always just been interested in the structures themselves and the stories that they tell. So with my focus on architecture, um, I'm mostly interested in buildings that already exist and how they fall apart. So my expertise is, is in um, brick and stone and masonry construction and figuring out how we either slow deterioration processes or try to reverse them if we can. So um, highly technical in certain senses, but also very generalist and broad in a lot of other senses. Um, so when I was in the private sector, that often meant uh, traveling to 
different sites all around the country where we were looking at projects. Um, now in the public sector, I have a much narrower focus. Um, living in Washington, D.C., my purview is really the national capital area. So um, sort of within, say, a, an afternoon's drive of Washington, D.C. Um, but it gives me a really wonderful cross-section of historic resources to work with, whether they're memorials in D.C. or battlefields or um, you know, interesting structures like canals, um, all the historic buildings that support them. So huge diversity of resources. Um, it's really fun. I love getting to be out in the field um, working with parks, uh, working in parks. Um, yeah, and just uh, knowing that we're doing it um, for resources who are, have been designated as parks, you know, for the benefit of this and future generations for both research and enjoyment. Yeah, very cool. And I guess it dovetails really well into, um, you know, what's it like running in the D.C. area? I mean, I know there's a lot of like open spaces. There's, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, what what your work puts you in front of like keystones of Americana as far as iconology and colonialism and like the things that 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 exist in the capital. I mean, there are some things there that are just. I mean, it's a, like talk about a, a site to be held, right? I've been to, to DC numerous times and, and you just never, there are certain things that when you see it, like the awe of it and the grandeur of it, just it, it, it doesn't go, it never goes away. It doesn't matter how many times you see it, you know? So, um, you know, what is it like, uh, what is it like, like running in DC these days? You know, DC is a great road running town in a lot of ways. There are tons of road runners. I myself have to do, a lot of my running on the roads and I'm not ashamed sure. of that for any reason. And you're right. I mean, if you look at my straw, there's a lot of sunrise pictures of the Lincoln Memorial because that's where I do a lot of my running. And you are right that it doesn't stop being um, impactful or moving uh, in different ways. Um, but there is a, there is a trail scene as well. It's a little less, uh, self-evident. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, I'm thinking just about the language that we use that when folks come to town, um, out-of-towners usually refer to it as Washington and locals usually refer to it as DC. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, um, you know, there's, there's some sort of inflection in how we do running here as well, that, you know, the, um, the road scene is very obvious, but if you're here for a minute, the trail's you feel they're kind of hidden in plain view. So that's trails both within the city proper. Um, Rock Creek Park is a pretty well-known resource within D.C. And if you look at those segment leaderboards, there's a lot of big names off there <laughs> with times from years ago that aren't going anywhere. Um, and then, you know, within 75 to 90 minutes, you can be out in Shenandoah National Park or um, in any of the national or state parks rather in uh, in Maryland. So the mountains are there too. It, it takes a little bit more planning, um, but I actually really love the drive out there as well. It's sort of part of my whole enjoyment of the mountain trail running experience. Is it flat in DC or do you guys, does it roll like, I mean, a lot of the Southeast, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, people would consider it flat depending on where you're from, but it definitely is like 
uh, it definitely rolls a lot. Can are you are there are there places where if you need to in town you can you can kind of uh, amass a decent amount of vertical even if have, even if you just have to go like you know repeat this one bump like uh, a gazillion times. Definitely, I uh, yeah. I did do a run uh, by Rock Creek Park um, where I did it was eighteen miles and I basically did one mile repeats and got three thousand feet of vert. <laughs> so okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's there, it's there if you want to commit to it. Um, it's funny because I live in the Capitol Hill neighborhood and I actually think that Capitol Hills probably the flattest part of the city. So if you go a little further afield, the hills are there. You just got to look for them and. Um, you know, going further afield has actually been a, one of my joys in running in DC recently as well. Yeah. Very cool. And I know we, like I mentioned before, you know, we met, um, outside of the grindstone course, which is in outside of Harrisonburg or Stanton, which is like Northern Virginia, kind of in that shade. I mean, it runs, it's right in the Shenandoah Valley. And, uh, you know, I, I think the access, I think it's what an hour and a half or two hour drive. If, if you want to make that trip and out here, it's like, I mean, it's, I'm actually recording from Stanton today. So it's, it's pretty epic, honestly, the amount of access that exists, uh, you know, kind of, like you said, clustered kind of around the DC area. So Okay. So something I do want to talk about, and uh, this is kind of going back to DC, like what is the public water project? Um, Justine, as you're drinking it, as you're taking a sip of water, (laughs) as I'm taking a sip of water. Well, I, uh, I'm DC self-proclaimed thirstiest runner, sweatiest and thirstiest runner. So (laughs) some of it is incredibly self-serving. I, I, uh, thank you for asking. Um, I, I really am fascinated with access to water in Washington, D.C. Um, and by water, I mean drinking fountains. Mm. Um, access to water uh, in the way of recreational water is also interesting to me. Um, we are a city that's surrounded by rivers, and yet nobody has access to swim in them, um, which is sort of a separate thing, but is kind of part of my underlying interest in all of this. But um, early in the pandemic, so maybe say May 2020, Uh, you know, there was a lot of tentative running. Um, We didn't know if drinking fountains were on. Um, Maybe they were on inconsistently. D.C. gets very, very warm, um, very, very humid in the late spring and summer. So they were a resource that I knew that I relied on a lot. So I figured, well, if I'm relying on it, chances are other people are relying on it as well. So I started a little project to start to map out the location of drinking fountains around the National Mall, where I mentioned I and lots of people do a lot of running, mostly because it's sort of a centrally located area that I knew would serve a a big population of runners. And then as I got into it, I started to get more and more interested about, well, where are drinking fountains in other parts of the city? And what neighborhoods are really well served by them? What about public restrooms? What neighborhoods are poorly served by them? Um, are they reliably on? Are there ones that have been broken for years and have never been repaired? And why is that? So my math started to grow and grow. At some point I said, oh, let me just run every single street in the city and figure this thing out once and for all. And a la Ricky Gates, a la Ricky Gates, a la Ricky Gates, um, the wonderful Ricky Gates. And, you know, there was another gentleman named um, 
Jared, who has run every single street in DC. And obviously we were doing it for totally separate reasons. Um, mine was really motivated by this whole question about where access to public water is. Um, but I also felt like, well, at that point I had lived in DC for 13 or 14 years. And if you looked at my Strava heat map, I was running the same streets a lot and it's a big city. And I felt like I needed some novelty in my life as well. And in my runs. And I found that creating routes around this both gave me a lot of intellectual exercise. It was so fun to start to figure out how do I, you know, tick off a neighborhood effectively and efficiently and, you know, okay, I want to get nine miles today. What's a really great way to be able to hit a whole bunch of streets. So there was that part of it. And there was this developing body of information that I was starting to gather about where these drinking fountains were and where they were not and where they were working and where they were not. So now three, almost three years later, um, I would say I'm about 75% of the way done with it. Um, I share it only on Strava, just with my kind of group of local running friends. Um, mostly so folks again, know where these resources are, but I think at when it's done, I would love to be able to possibly share it with a wider audience, um, see if there's any takeaways from folks who know more about policies than I do. Uh, I'm just a runner, but I figure, well, I'm going to run the miles anyway. So why don't I do something productive with it? And this was the way I found, figured out to do it. So, so let me ask, how, how are you? how do you catalog the information when you're on your runs? If you, um, do you have like a specific system? Do you have like a note on your phone or like, is there, it, it, yeah, I guess like, are, are you just taking like cross streets and then, and then, um, like taking a note of like where these things are and whether or not they're, they're working or not working. So back when I started, there was uh, still a Google maps, um, or Google my maps app, which has actually since been, discontinued. Um, but you can still use a, um, a my map in your web browser on your phone. So, uh, I've been managing all of this information and in kind of a giant, my map, Google map. Um, and so I will open it up while I'm running and pause and drop a little pin, uh, in the location of the drinking fountain. Um, it's got a little icon on it, uh, one color if it's on, one color, color is off, I take a photo of it. So I also have the photo that I can share um, just as a resource to help people identify it. But also then I have the information later um, because the location is tagged. So I have all of this kind of living, yeah, in this giant document right now that I've been building out. Cool. Yeah. And once you kind of, if you're 75% of the way done, I'm not sure how long it's going to take you to finish it up, but at some point you're going to want to catalog all that and figure out, you know, how do I actually, how do you, how do I share this to the, to a wider audience? So. Yes. I haven't figured that part out yet. So it's, it's always been um, a little bit for me, hopefully a little bit for other people as well. And probably in some shifting balance between the two. So, 
so let me ask: Are the people in DC they like are 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 you considered the the water lady? Do they like reach out? They're like, so Justine, where's where? I'm I'm trying to run out here or run there. Is is there good water for me to drink? Do you get those? Uh, are those is that inbound for you right now? Yes, I do entertain questions about the status of drinking fountains. Um, people give me beta. You know, like, oh, I was down running uh, by Haynes Point, and this one was off today. And noted, I will update the map. Thank you for your service. Um, oh, so it is definitely. Cool been a way to engage with the running community in a different way so uh, i'd be very i'm very proud to be known as the drinking fountain lady yeah not not a bad moniker to have right no not at all uh well yeah that's really cool and uh i guess um like when you finish up the project if you finish up the project let me know and i'll make an, an addendum to the uh to the show notes and and add a link to whatever resource you provide i know i'm not no pressure um but just so uh so people know in case they're they listen to the pod happen to be in the future if they listen to the pod happen to be from dc they know how they, or, or going to dc or travel there for work they, they can uh they can use that resource so yeah thanks for giving that information a place to live are you looking for comfy, sustainable apparel to show off your love of the trails off the trails while giving back to support the natural places where you love to recreate? Then go check out Run Trail Life. With designs that use sustainable materials, we have comfortable and styly hats and tees that you are going to love. With each item purchased, I will donate to Runners for Public Lands. If I sound excited about RTL, that is because I am the founder and sole operator behind the brand. I do all the things. So if you want to support me and the trails, go check out Run Trail Life. If you use code MidpackerPod, I will double your order donation. Visit runtraillife.com and pick up something. I, I want to talk about your running and some of the the goals and the things that you that you've accomplished and that you want to accomplish. But before that, um, you know, this is something I talk to all the parents about um, if if and when I have um, running parents on the pod. And and it's a it's 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 an itch I scratch for myself because I have a young son and and my wife and I are always trying to figure out like how do we balance all the things. But I mean, you're you're a single mother of two sons. Um, I. I, I hope that you have a wealth of knowledge and information to share with me today. But um, I mean, how 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 do you how do you do it, Justine? I mean, like my hat is tipped to you because uh, I know it's it's hard enough for for my wife and I with just one. So um, yeah, I would love for you to 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 talk more about that and, and any actionable tips that you have for the audience and myself. Yeah, I mean, I think the first part for me is. I think everybody's got it hard in different ways and sure. not making it a comparison game. Um, yeah. I think, I think having a lot of self-compassion is a huge part of that. And I do try to practice that a lot, but I think for me, um, I am, I, I feel very focused on systems and processes. Um, and that, that kind of goes for all parts of my life. Um, you know, working more than full time most of the time and, um, yeah, being a, a single parent, I, my time is my most precious resource for sure. And sure. I am very acutely aware of that. And so it has felt really incumbent on me to, invest time in making sure that I have systems in my life that 
are working really, really well. So whether that's how I plan my meals and order my groceries at the beginning of the week so I don't have to be making a bunch of you know, silly runs to the grocery store for one item, or if it's, um, you know, how I manage pick up and drop off at school so I can, you know, condense things so I'm using my time as efficiently as possible. I have found that to be a really, really rewarding exercise is to really dial all of the systems that I can. So they're almost automated, knowing that I don't have to devote so much brain space to thinking about those things. I can devote it to my kids or my running or my job and know that things are kind of set up in a way that is going to serve me. Um, So that, that I think is maybe my biggest tip is thinking about systems and processes and really paying attention to when things aren't working. And I mean, I, I, I am I maybe almost to a fanatical degree, but like noticing where I think the garbage can is more efficient here in the kitchen than over there, because it means sure. my kids are more likely to put their stuff in the right place. I, I kind of pay attention to all of this. And I, I really re- have learned to recognize and relish the feeling of, oh, this is working because there have been plenty of my times in my life where I've had to unfortunately say, no, this isn't working. and make changes accordingly. So I'm, I'm comfortable with all of that part of the process. And so I would encourage you or anybody else. Um, and anytime you want to bounce ideas off, I'm good for it. But I think thinking about systems that do or do not serve you is really important. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. I think, um, a lot of people, um, like we talked about, we talked about a little bit the, on on the previous episode with with Joe Corsione, like like ha- using a calendar, having a calendar, building personal systems of accountability for yourself, but just personal systems for like just scheduling and and how you deal with uh, the obligations that you have in life is like really important. I think a lot of people, from a professional standpoint, will say, "Oh, I have all these systems built out to make sure that I can get the the task." accomplish on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis with, with my vocation, but they're not willing to, to put the same, even, even like a a modicum of the same, uh, like kind of intention into how they manage, uh, their, their personal life. And I think it's, it's like really, really important. And obviously that gets magnified when, when, when you're in a situation like yourself where you have two kids, uh, and you're trying to balance all the things plus like show up for work. And then obviously you mentioned earlier that there's a lot of, uh, sunrise pictures of the Lincoln Memorial. So you're, you're definitely the, uh, in the camp of, I get up early and I get the run in before everyone wakes up because that's the time I can run. Cause as soon as the day starts, as soon as the kids are up and they need to get to school and I need to get to work and all this stuff, there's like no telling what's going to happen to the rest of my schedule. And, 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 uh, and the run may not happen if I don't, if I don't prioritize that first and foremost, am I, am I reading that correctly? You are reading that very correctly. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of sunrise runs, a lot of 5 a.m. treadmill grinds. And I think the other thing that makes all of this possible for me that I've put a lot of effort into is really building a support network. And I think that's been the biggest single investment that I've made in myself and in my life over the last four years in particular is, you know, I think a lot of us... Um, 
particularly folks who are used to achieving. Um, I grew up in a, in a world that told me, you know, you do that on your own. You know, your achievements are your own, your work is your own, you grind on your own. And I think by the time the pandemic started, I realized I couldn't do it all alone. Mm. And I didn't, I also didn't want to do it all alone anymore either, that there was no virtue in slogging through things alone. And whatever messaging had told me that was wrong. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So the, the investment in my support network, I think is, is really other, the other thing that's so key, you know, working with my coach has been an enormous part of that, but also just investing in my neighborhood resources, in my community, um, in asking friends for help, in engaging my family in different ways. Um, all of those, I think, have really contributed to a really diverse and varied support network because you you can anticipate to a certain extent what you need, but there's always curveballs. And I think having totally. having that diverse network makes it possible to react when something comes totally out of nowhere. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, something I'm learning and have been learning for years, but it just, it becomes um, very obvious when you have a child is like, you, you don't get what you don't ask for. You know, you just can't expect that people are going to understand what your needs are and you can't feel bad about asking for help. And I think that's something that's a trap that, that people fall into a lot. Um, and there's a reason why, I mean, if, if people are going to show up, people are either going to show up for you or they're not. And like, if you ask for help and they say, no, it can't happen. Well, that's not a big deal. You're just going to go keep, like you said, like have a diverse network, go down the list. And it's not about like making it transaction, everything transactional, but like why build relationships? Why have friends? Why, why have, uh, why, why, why be close to family? Why all these things, if you're not going to actually put yourself out there and ask and just have an expectation, like, like they're just going to know, you know? And I think that's something that, um, that I've had to work on over the last many years, mostly is being an entrepreneur because, you know, you learn very quickly that like, no one's just going to write the article about your company. No one's going to do any of the things that you think that just happens. Like there's always a conversation on the back end and people putting themselves out there from a business standpoint to get, to get those views and to get, to get that engagement with the world. And the same goes on a personal stance, right? I agree completely. I think the word transactional really sticks out to me. Um, I think that's, very much how I saw relationships for a long time. And that if I was asking something of someone, it was like a debit to that account. Where mm. in fact, I actually think it's, it's a deposit into that account. You know, it is a way to actually build up that relationship rather than withdraw from it. And I, that's been a huge shift in my worldview. I love that frame. I love the the debit versus deposit. I think that's obviously like to make it transactional, but it just puts a the the mental it, it changes how you feel about the relationship by thinking about, you know, what is a deposit, what is what is a withdrawal, you know, and, and is are, are are these things like when I ask, hey, can 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 you do can you can you watch the kid from me for for 20 minutes or for an hour? Like that may not necessarily some people will think of that as a deposit as as a withdrawal but like the individual may think it's a deposit because they really enjoy getting to spend time with your child because they have a relationship with that individual as well and so it's kind of like yes you know all these things are favors and all these things are asks but like you know just going back to it like if you don't get what you don't ask for like that's that's 
100% the biggest lesson I've ever learned in my life, period, to date. So, yeah, same. And I think being able to do that has in turn supported my running so much. And it's just mm. been this cycle of continual growth and renewal um, in the way that they both support each other. Yeah. And so you mentioned, you mentioned having a coach. I know you're coached by, by, by Megan Roach. So you're, you're a swap athlete. How, what has it been like, um, having that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of support from like, just, just being, mm, I'm like fumbling over my words here, but like the kind of support that comes from like, not having to think about your training and having someone in your corner that, that can really help uh, create an arc for the goals that you have from a running standpoint. It was a level, it is a level of support that at the time felt unprecedented to me. I, I remember my first email exchange where I reached out to David um, and I got an email back and he said in this email, in all caps, and I'll never forget it, are you prepared for unconditional support? And I had never Love been that. confronted with that uh, that that ask in such a specific way, and I had just really never thought about it. And I I did have to reflect. Yes, that's exactly what I'm asking mm. for. I feel like I'm drowning, and I need help. And thanks to that exchange, I was able to articulate it a lot more clearly than I think I'd ever been forced to articulate it before. Um, so yeah, I mean the the support part is, I think maybe even more than the running part, what I went into that relationship with Megan looking for, um, knowing that I, knowing that I needed it. And the running part kind of just followed so naturally from that. Um, turns out that running training feels a lot more fun and a lot easier when I don't have to be worrying. Is this the right, right workout to do this week? Is this the right long run? Is it too short? Is it too long? Being able to, trust. I think that really I'm talking about trust here, being able to trust her so much, both with the, um, the mechanics of training itself, but that she understands me as a complete person and is always putting my training within the larger picture of my life stress and what's going on with my schedule, with work, with modifications. Um, yeah, being able to delegate that both delegate and trust is just a huge unburdening that makes a lot of other things possible. You know, thinking again about time as a resource, it frees up so much time space and brain space for me that, wow, all I have to do is run. I just get to go run. This is great. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I just, um, gosh, I'm like going to go ahead and plug. Like I just started a coaching service myself and trying to take some of the experience that I've had over a decade. And I love some of the things that you said, because it, it, it resonates with me on like, why, why, why do you want to help and support athletes? And it's like, because the trust, the being able like that, you, that trust is like very, very, very important and you have to build it. And at the same time, like the ability to take the burden off of the athlete and to have like, um, a sounding board for them and to have someone else to really like work through, Hey, this is the goal. This is the minimal viable product product. You know, this is minimally what you need to do to, to, to complete this goal. And then ultimately like, how do we want to reframe that goal? You know, like if you're like, Oh, well, I want to, I, I don't want to just do the minimum. And like, I have an aspiration for a really like high a goal, then okay, cool. This is the work that's going to have to get done. But you know, if the idea is like, Hey, I just want to finish my first hundred miler. Um, like this is the work. Are you ready to do the work? And I love, I mean, gosh, like 
the fact that that was the all caps response from the email is like, are you ready for unconditional support? Like that is huge. And that allows you as the athlete to think like this is this, cause it's about building a relationship at the end of the day. And so you're like, is this going to be the right relationship for me? Yes. And like you said, like, I didn't even know that I needed that. Like I thought I just needed someone to help me like with my training. And then you realize like, are you like that level of support? I think that's what a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of people are missing in their, in their running, I'd say their relationship with running. Um, especially if you're trying to do these hard things, if you're trying to run ultras, if you're trying to, to set like a uh, hairy audacious goals, whether it's a marathon PR or even a 5k PR or, you know, completing your first hundred miler, um, you know, having that support, some people like really, really, really thrive on it. Some people can handle like doing their own training and that's great. And like, that's that, that those people are, you know, I'm, I'm, I was one of those people for a decade. Um, and at the end of the day, um, you know, there is something to be said about, about saying like, Hey, let me let someone who knows a lot more about this than me handle what my needs are. And then also build a relationship with them so that like I can have a healthier relationship with running. Right. I think you touched on exactly the right part of it. It it was just very clarifying to have it reflected back at me in that way. Uh, so that part was, yeah, that whole process was, was so, illuminating and to get back to my uh, you know other thought about being someone or who, who thought she had to do everything herself for so long I mean sure I could mm. write a training plan for myself but I couldn't I couldn't support myself in my running emotionally um, sort of spiritually in all those ways that a coach could um, that was the part that was so missing and that that exchange really cleared from clarified for me that I really needed that I really wanted yeah yeah and that, like that man, the X's and O's, like just the tactics, the tricks, the tactics, the tips, the the workouts that those, that, that is like, like I'm putting my finger up here. That's a sliver of the work, right? Like, like it's, I imagine depending on who the coach is and depending on like uh, their experience, like the prescription of the training, it's going to look pretty similar across the board. There's going to be little, little differences and little nuances. Um, but ultimately it's that one-on-one relationship that you get and someone that's willing to like work with you, understanding who you are and, and trying to manage your needs from, uh, like everything from the life, from, from the life, the life that you're living outside of running to how you're trying to incorporate your running into your life. And I think that's where, um, you know, that's what separates like really good coaches from just people that are copy and pasting, uh, training plans. And, and maybe you get an email from them once a month asking how, how things are going, you know? So, um, okay. I want to like, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about grindstone and I hope you're okay with discussing it. Um, but you know, last year, um, and for any in the audience, like I did a whole recap of the hundred mile uh, experience. I think the conditions for the hundred K may have been a little bit better um, than what the hundred mile conditions were. But I know that every one of us ran through a, uh, a tropical storm on that day. Um, it was really tough out there in general. Um, and I know you ran, like I said, you ran the hundred K, but I would love for you to talk about like how that race went for you, how you felt like leading into it. And then ultimately, you know, how, how, how the day ended for you. It was a day. Um, yeah. It, you know, just a, a little bit of scene setting. I, it's probably worth saying it was actually the only ultra I ran last year in 2023 at all. Um, I raced quite a bit. Uh, I think I raced I don't know, 10 or 11 times. I mean, which is not a huge number, but compared to previous years, um, I decided that 
racing more frequently felt really fun and that racing shorter distances felt really fun. So I did a lot of that in 2023 and it was extremely fulfilling both from a life experience perspective, from a training perspective. It's, I seemed to be responding really well to it. So I had really no plans to run any ultras in that year at all until the grindstone 100k was created which um, for folks who don't know did not exist prior to this event um, had been a hundred mile event um, i'd run other shorter races put on by the same race director clark zealand um, and it sort of felt like well darn it they went ahead and dropped this 100k race basically in my backyard that's looks like it's going to be pretty darn fun I don't have a reason not to do this. So mm. I should, I should probably just go ahead and do it. Um, so I think in some ways that sort of set me up for exactly the day that I wanted. Um, I have never run a hundred K before that. I definitely am not a ultra, ultra long distance specialist. Um, I do, like 50Ks. I do love 50-mile races. I really love sub-ultra stuff. Um, but I knew I was taking a bit of a risk, and I, I kind of went back and forth for a minute about, you know, do I want to be focusing on races where I think I'm likely to perform better, or do I want to focus on getting better at longer and longer distances where I have room to grow and have new experiences? And ultimately decided I don't have to choose between the two. I can do both based on whatever feels right at that particular time. And so that was kind of the feeling that I was chasing at Grindstone. It was really not about, it was really only ever partly about running, going into it. And I, I do feel like I knew that going in. Um, and so, yeah, it was, was quite, quite a dark and rainy day for much of the day. Um, I, you know, the, the thing that Megan told me before the race that felt so important, um, was she really kept reinforcing, you can come back from lows in this. And that felt to me like the part that I really needed to hold on to that, you know, if I was running a 20 K and had a low at the end, like I'm probably not coming back from that. It's probably just going to suck until the end, but then it's over. So I knew that the personal challenge to myself was to know that lows were going to happen and to try to find a way to work through them. So the mantra that I was using a lot during the day was believe it can get better. And that's something that I've really started to adopt in my life as well. And I did have some lows and I did believe that they could get better. And they did, you know, I was had an early, um, bout of nausea, like miles 13 to 17 and was sick on the side of the road. Uh, and then had another great 20 miles, um, you know, had a rough cramp on the side of one of the fire roads and someone got out of the car and gave me a hug and <laughs> felt better after that for another 10 miles. So I, I really felt like I kind of rode the roller coaster all day, which was, really my main assignment to myself. I had no idea what my finishing time was going to be. Really had no idea what my 100K pace was going to be. Um, but it, 
certainly had no doubt that I was going to finish. Um, and then uh, for folks who, who did the race know that the last few miles um, are on the road heading back towards the yep. start and finish area. Um, and with less than a mile to go, um, my left hip flexor completely locked up. Um, and I suspect now that it was essentially um, – it even to call it an injury, but an, an overuse reaction. Um, I knew that going downhill in the last 10 miles, um, I was engaging my hips a lot more than I should have been because my quads were so sore at that point. So my movement pattern was very, very different. And my hip flexors were just over it. And I did everything I could to troubleshoot for about 10 minutes. Um, I could not walk. I was completely immobilized by it. Um, and so people passed me and said, just walk it in. I can't oh. walk. I can't walk. And I know that they thought they were trying to be helpful. Uh, so there was no, no ill will. Um, I, it was difficult to verbally convey to, to these people that I, I literally could not walk. I was trying to shuffle sideways. I was trying to actually use my, my hands to pick my leg up and see if I could get it to move. Um, and nothing worked. And at that point it was dark. It was after dark. Um, and it was probably the hardest it had been raining all day. And, you know, my little Houdini was soaked through and not doing anything for me at that point. So, um, hypothermia was definitely very real. Um, I was shaking so much that I knew that this was a situation I needed to get myself out of. Um, so I DNF'd with about three quarters of a mile to go in a hundred K in a long hundred K too. Yeah, it's a heavy, it was a heavy hundred hundred k, and and I mean that's tough, but it is you know it's obviously you made the right the right you know you made you made the right decision. I mean everything is uh, everything is fine as far as your hip goes. Like you you were able to kind of like it, it kind of came back to life after uh, you got a little bit of rest. Yes, yeah, I uh, yeah. a lot of Theragun and a lot of uh, ibuprofen and a bath. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's it can be crazy out there, you know? And, and I think it's important to kind of know, obviously like with this not being like, I'm not saying like with it not being like an A goal for you, but with it being something that like you not like on a whim, but you're like, Oh, you know what? I think I want to do this. And you did it. Like, there's no, like, I don't know. I mean, there's just like, unless your why is really, really strong. There's like no reason to like have to finish these things either, you know? And, and the experience, um, of, I mean, gosh, running 99% of a hundred K and then having to, to pull the plug because your body just said like, that's it. I'm like, this is as far as I can go today. Uh, and then honoring that for yourself. I think that that's a really powerful lesson. Um, you know, I imagine, let me ask, did you, the next day or the, the four hours later after you got out of the bath and everything felt good, were, did, did you kind of, were there any regrets? Have you had any regrets with that decision? Or have you like played it back in your head and ask yourself, like, could I have just gone that extra three quarters of a mile? Cause I know when, I, when it's done, it's done. And I get that, but I just, I, I kind of have to ask. I have zero, had zero regrets. Nice. Um, and I feel, I feel so at peace with how everything went out. I feel like the things that were assigned to me, which was, you know, work through lows know that you can persevere. I did those. And I was able in that moment to say, oh, this is different. This is not a low I can work through. This is actually 
it. This is, yeah. I, and I was really proud of myself for being able to tell the difference between lows I could work through and a low I could not work through. And yeah, there's, there's never been a moment that I doubted, you know, I think objectively had it not been raining, I probably could have stood out there an extra 30 minutes, taken as much time sure. as I needed, but that was not the situation. It was dark and rainy and cold. And I do need to be aware that I'm making decisions, not just for myself, but as the parent of two boys and I want to be able to tell them that I made a smart decision for myself and my own health um, and as someone who needed to get home the next day and be their parent. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, good reframe too, as far as like, you know, sometimes you have to make these decisions, not for yourself. And on top of it, like, I agree with you. If this was a, a summer hundred uh, or a, sorry, a, a summer event and it's 65 degrees outside and, you know, not overcast, you know, clear skies. It's, it's you, man, I've, I've been shivering after events when it's like 70 degrees. So like, I also know that like it, your body does, does weird things, but like, yeah, for sure. You could have said that like, let me sit here for 20 minutes and see if this thing is going to come back together. But, uh, as someone who ran that day, um, and had to run through the night, like if, if I spent more than 10 minutes at the aid station, I was like, I got to go. Cause I'm getting cold. And I like, I know that it's, yeah, it'll get better once I start moving again, you know, but at the end of the day, like it, it, the conditions were not ideal for hanging out any longer than about, I'd say seven no. or eight minutes. So agree. Yeah. All right, let's talk about free trail, the community of trail and ultra runners. I have personally loved being a part of, if you are looking for a way to bring the trail and ultra community with you everywhere you go, you have to join free trail pro. For only $96 a year, you get access to the free trail Slack community, training plans, deep discounts with brand partners, and access to the weekly office hour Zoom calls where we gather as a community to talk about specific run-related topics as well as have special guest Q&As and so much more. These calls have been a highlight of my week. I cannot say enough. I love, love, love the free trail community. And if you want to support some of the best audio, video, and written content in our sport, visit freetrail.com and consider joining the Free Trail fam with a Free Trail Pro subscription. Hope to see you in the Free Trail Slack community. And when you introduce yourself, mention the Midpacker Pod. Um, so I let's talk about what you want to do this year. It doesn't seem like you have. Uh, it seems like you may be like a, a little more of a whim on a whim kind of uh, kind of racer, which I I definitely appreciate. But I know that you know when it when is cabin fever the cabin fever fifty k. I know it's in February. Is it is it coming up here pretty soon? It's um it's this weekend. It's two days from when you and I are recording. Um, awesome. So Super excited for that. Yeah, I, I am a little bit of an on, on the whim kind of racer. And, you know, some of that is driven by life logistics and is maybe True. lacking lacking confidence and planning things too far out, um, trying to maybe protect myself against disappointment of things, uh, just, you know, shift and change my ability to travel. So, you know, my focus is really mostly on a lot of local races, um, things that I can drive to are really appealing. Um, just really loving on my local trails is really appealing, but yeah, I'll be out in um, Fayetteville, West Virginia this weekend, home of the new river gorge national park um, to run the cabin fever 50 K. Um, 
but yeah, I'm still kind of undecided about what the second half of the year is going to hold. Um, there is a small part of me that thinks, well, should probably go back and get that finish at grindstone, but, uh, it's kind of, kind of TBD <laughs> at this point. Um, but I feel excited to maybe recommit to the 50 K this year, especially after doing so much sub ultra stuff last year. I, I do feel motivated to recommit to that and see what I can do there in terms of maybe some PRs. Well, you and I are kind of on the same page. I've, I've definitely recommitted to the 50 K this year. I have one, one longer ultra at Laurel uh, Highlands this year, which is going to be, it's the, it's the shortest East coast, Western States qualifier period. Awesome. That's the only, I mean, it's like, I, I'm going to run it because it has, a. I mean, the race itself has a lot of history and it's like an amazing route. And like people say it's an, um, an immaculately put on event, but ultimately like, that was my why for like why I'm going to pick this race. Um, I see that you're going to, are you, are you, are you, have you signed up for promised land? You know, I, I have a, I now have a schedule conflict. I've really wanted to do promised land. That's a kind of a Virginia classic yep. David Horton race. Um, so it's not going to be this year, um, but I probably will go train on the, on the route a little bit. Um, so that'll, that'll be in years to come. Okay. Cause I, I'm, I haven't signed up yet because I'm dealing with a little bit of an injury right now. And I like, I, to be honest, I just don't want to pull the trigger on the, whatever, you know, it's like $175 or 200 bucks, you know, it's, a, it's an ultra cost. It's definitely more than a hundred dollars. And I didn't want to pull the trigger on, on a race entry that I'm going to have to uh, forego. Um, but yeah, I, re- I promised land is on my list this year. I really would like to run in for all the same things. You know, you said it's a Horton race. Um, he's only got so many years, I think of race directing left in him. And I'd like to be able to experience uh, one of his events, um, but that is, that's supposed to be a really fun, um, a fun vibe and, a and a, and a really, really, um, deceptively hard course. And, uh, if I don't run it this year, I'll probably come up and, and try to do some volunteering at it as well. So yeah, that's ideal. Yeah. This, uh, sucks to have a scheduling conflict. I was going to say, maybe we'll run some miles together at oh, promise land if, 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 if the stars align, but it doesn't <laughs> seem like, uh, it seems like it's, it's off for you, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly kid stuff. Yeah, no, it is what it is. I'm, I'm not quite. I mean, my son's only 22 months old, so he doesn't have any. There's no. He has no obligations except for what we what what we dictate for him, you know. So I'm still in a in a good place there. I know uh, my sleep could be better as far as recovery goes, but um, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm my wife and I have definitely talked. Like, what is it going to look like w- in four or five years when he's going to have things that, that I'm like, well, like he'll be the priority, and I'll figure out how to how to run my silly crazy ultra marathons uh on on what is now what little sliver of my time exists you know so totally, I totally feel you there yeah they yeah. need both less and more as they get older yeah, yeah well, i've had a couple conversations with older um parent not older parents but parents that have elder elder children like you know getting into teenage years and it gets to a point where they want less and less of you. So they, they, that's what they, they, they're like, Oh, just wait, you know, in 12 years, 13 years, you can do 14 years. You'll be able to do all the racing you want because like your kids will be like, eh, I don't want to hang out with, I don't want to hang out with you guys on the weekend, you know? So, um, yeah. Well, this has been, this has been great, Justine, before we, we, we get into some rapid fire stuff, I'm going to ask you some of my free trail questions. Cause I know you're uh, an active member of the community and, and we'll, we'll go through my rapid fire questions, but is there anything else you wanted to, to mention or, or, or discuss, um, with or discuss on the pod to the audience uh, bef- before we wrap things up. This has just been so fun, Troy. I don't think I have anything specific. Um, you know, maybe 
the last comment I'll make is just how special the um, the free trail femmes and mental health groups have been to me and to my life over the last year, year and a half, almost two years. Um, those have, I think, have in the spirit of you know building my support network, I have found those groups um, or subgroups within the free trail community to be really impactful in a very, very meaningful way in my life. I'm glad you mentioned the the mental health. Um the mental health group and the call that, that Matt Hoadley, who was the, the first, um, my first guest on the podcast, uh, for, because he's just an amazing dude. And I knew that, um, I knew he'd be gentle with me, you know, as, as like first time, uh, doing the pod. And, uh, I know he'd be, he'd be an amazing guest to have, and he would make it easy on me, which he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, talk a little bit about the mental health channel. Cause I've, I've attended a couple calls and I, I just see it as a, it's a small tight knit group and it's, welcoming it's an inclusive group it's not an exclusive group of people that that are willing to listen um give advice when needed or and or honestly just to be an ear for for individuals and 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 for p and it's a very very it, it is it's a very very safe place and it's something that uh, i've definitely appreciated um being a part of uh the handful of calls that i've joined over the last uh, say year and a half so yeah, I think that the safety of it is definitely one of the keys to the success. And I think that's really born out of this mutual desire by everyone in the group to just say, no, we're just going to, we're just going to look out for each other. And it's just so consistent and so genuine across the board. And you're so right that it can be a place for sharing. It could be a place for listening you know, and that kind of waxes and wanes depending on whatever may be going on in any one particular person's life. And that feels totally natural to just sort of follow these swells and, you know, the peaks and the valleys, um, you know, because everyone's going through different things at different times. And I think that it does a really good job as a group of sort of morphing to fit whatever the needs are at any particular time. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, it's just a place to practice being the type of person that I want to be with other people who feel mm. similarly. And I think that's really the strength of it is that we are, whatever we have going on in our lives, which are always going to be different things. We're all aligned on that part that we're, we're all sort of committed to some degree of introspection and, just wanting to be our best selves and think that everything else kind of flows from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can, like I said, I, it's, I've really appreciated every time I hang up that call, I'm like, man, this, this is, that's, I needed that today. Right. Yes. You know, like I really, really needed that today. And I think um, it's also been really nice because I, I just notice, you know, it's a zoom call. So like everyone's got their video on, like people, uh, they'll they will be expressing issues or problems or situations they're dealing with and there's always like four you know it's a dozen people on the call there's like three or four people shaking their head like yeah totally yeah. like i'm i've been either i've been there or i am i have had those same feelings and um you know for me it's just been really nice to to know just to be honest like to know that you're not alone in dealing with the the bullshit of life you know and, and i think everyone and not to like trivialize trivialize it by using profanity but like at the end of the day like everyone's problems are real for them and at, at and when it's all said and done like 
a lot of it is, are things that are like can be very easy to work through, but when you're in your head dealing with thinking that like you know you have it so bad, you know it's like the, everyone's problem is the worst problem, right? And so um, for me, the group has allowed me to 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 take a breath and provide perspective, um, and really helped me to work through uh, work through a couple of issues that I've been dealing with over the last year. So. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I, I think the my last thought on it, the beauty of it is that I, I feel like I and maybe others of my our generation who are sort of similarly aged were modeled that you you get close to people first, and then you open up and share. And I think that what I've learned through this group is that the sharing can actually beget the closeness. And that felt so radical to me, but it has played out so beautifully in this group and feels like the thing that I want to take into other parts of my life. Yeah, no, well, well said and agreed. Um, yeah, obviously it's, it's, that's something that goes against, uh, a lot of like all the alarm bells are ringing in your head. Like, Oh no, I should not. I, you know, and then obviously it's like, um, there's something real about that, about being able to be vulnerable and to share. And then people really do resonate with that. So, totally. okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, um, I'm glad you mentioned the mental health group. Cause it's something that I definitely wanted to touch on. And, um, I almost, I, I almost forgot all about it, Justine. So way, way to keep me on, uh, on track here. Um, Teamwork. couple, couple, yeah, no problem. A Cu- couple, Couple of free trail uh, rapid fire questions. Um, what's your favorite uh, free trail ch- uh, f- favorite channel in the free trail Slack? Excuse me. Okay. Well, other than those two, um, I do love racing and I love trail running radio. Yeah. Are you uh, are are you uh, kind of a, a, a music a musophile, an audiophile? I do. I, yeah, music is a really big part of my life. Um, it's a huge part of my life, and so uh, yeah the podcast brings me a lot of joy and the, you know, the channels channel gives me a place to get some of that out. Yeah. Well, shout out to, uh, to Ryan, to the Ryan thrower and, uh, and, um, Hannah. Uh, Hannah, all good. Excuse me. Uh, uh, the two people that, that produce and put out that. And if, uh, I'll link, I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. So if anyone isn't, um, isn't subscribing and listening to it, it's, it's a great pod and it's basically just Hannah and, and Ryan just kind of banter back and forth about songs and things and, and, you know, throw, throw a little bit of music out there, but it's really just a, a fun way for two people that, that to geek out about music and, and trail running and, um, uh, yeah, it's definitely good. And if you don't know, I mean, Ryan Thrower is is the is the creative director behind Free Trail. So he's you know he doesn't edit this pod, but all the other pods that are in the Free Trail network, I know he's a big part of producing and putting together. So you know, shout outs to to Ryan and, and Hannah and the work that they're doing. So yeah, I think it's hard to you know assume that you're gonna your tastes are gonna overlap with everybody's, but it's it's just fun to be with people who like music. That's it. You know, you have that yeah. much in common. Um, okay. Last free trail, free trail question is, uh, you know, if you had to drop an emoji, what's your favorite, what's your favorite custom emoji in, in free trail to, to put out into the, into the free trail verse? I, uh, I like the LFG a lot. Um, yeah. I, also, I also really like the cat jam. Um, I don't use it nearly enough, but it cracks me up whenever I see it. It just brings me a lot of joy. 
Yeah. And if you don't, if, uh, if people aren't familiar, Slack's like a communication platform. And, and, uh, if you're a free show pro member, you get access to the Slack community in that Slack community. There's a bunch of different channels. Uh, we've referenced a couple of them. Um, the Midpacker pod has their own channel too. So if you join, you can, you can, you can say hi to me there, but, uh, uh, there you can create custom emojis in Slack. And so there's a lot of like really, really cool custom emojis that, that you can drop. And I love the LFG, um, emoji. I think it's, uh, it's a great way, um, to quickly add a little punctuation to someone's post, um, by, by dropping. I mean, I think what I love about the emojis is like, um, people can keep selecting them, you know? So if it's like on someone's post, like you can kind of see how many people were like resonating with your emoji selection. And, uh, it's just a, I mean, it's, it's like, it's just a fun little way to amass dopamine hits throughout the day. I'll be totally. honest with you. So it's free hype. Yeah. yeah. Bring the hype. Um, awesome. So I'm going to pivot to my traditional rapid fire questions with you, Justine. And I, I appreciate you bearing with me. Um, First rapid fire question. What's your favorite race distance, distance to race? Mm, 30K. The 30K. Okay. Yeah. Fast and furious. Get that. Um, favorite post race meal. Pizza. Pizza, pizza, pizza. That's the consensus. I think if I, if I put out a pie cra- graph, there would be like <laughs> half of it would be pizza. Another 30% of it would be burger. And then there'd just be like a bunch of slivers of like random stuff. So, um, I forgot the quintessential question. Um, ultra marathon man or born to run. Born to run. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much 90% of 95% of people on the pod. So, um, awesome. And then the last question, which I'm, I've, I've been, um, adding into the mix is what's your favorite trail to run uh local locally what's your favorite trail to to get out and run if um as long as you're okay with doxing the trail and and maybe seeing other people out there uh more people out there so if 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 it's a super if it's like your super secret sacred place that you go to and you never see anybody definitely don't highlight that trail so you know there's um there's a 14 mile loop in shenandoah national park a park near jenkins gap um, and if I run on a Saturday, I see the same older gentleman going the opposite direction as me every single Saturday. He always wears the same shirt and he always has a walking stick and we always wave at each other. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, uh, is there a name of, of the actual trail or is it just, uh, um, Gap? it's, uh, it is a loop that I constructed with a friend from a couple of trails. Um, the bluff trail is probably the longest actual segment of it and you tag south marshall and north marshall as your two peaks and before you drop down um back into the woods well justine thank you so much for being on the pod thank you for thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable um when i started asking questions that were definitely off the show outline and uh, your willingness to just to share with the audience and um i really enjoyed this conversation and um excited to that hopefully um our paths can cross again somewhere on the trails yeah thanks for doing this troy i'm so appreciative and inspired by what you're creating here and it was great to get some time with you in 2023 and hopefully some in 2024 yes thank you so much um yeah we'll talk soon ciao thanks for tuning in if you are still here thank you for listening to the end of the show what'd you think of the episode Drop me a comment using the comment form at the top of the show notes. You can find a link. Also, make sure you are following us on Instagram at midpackerpod. 
share this episode on your stories, and I will make sure to reshare it. If you are interested in supporting any of our sponsors, you can find links and codes in the show notes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your ongoing support. It definitely means the world to me. See you next time on the Midpacker Pod. Pod.